Very good. Well, we've, we're really blessed to have uh, Ricky and Marcel joining us uh, for the first part of the message. I should probably just hand the microphone to them and let them preach the rest as well. But no, yeah, anyway, not, not this time, not this time, maybe another time. <laughs> but um, Ricky and Marcel oversee our CAP ministry, and uh, we just want to have a little bit of an interview and uh, find out how things are going and what's happening moving forward. So uh, Marcel, you got the first question. Tell us a bit more about CAP. Wow. CAP is an amazing ministry, as we all know. Um, and CAP has been around since 1996 in, um, in the world um, and 2007 in New Zealand. Um, so we've been here for about 13 years already. Um, we've got um, obviously one debt centre here in Whangarei, which is um, what we do here at Elam. And then we have um, a life skills um, two life skills in Whangarei and one release group and then several money, money courses um, within Whangarei run through different churches. Um, but yeah, it's an amazing ministry. Um, it releases people from the isolation of, um, of, of the, well, the isolation that debt really has on, um, on people. So yeah, it's an amazing ministry really. And we're, we've always been proud to be part of it. Yeah. Can you tell us about maybe one family? I know there have been many of them, but one family that, yeah, uh, that, that came out of, came out of yeah, debt and yeah. uh, the impact it's had on their world. There's uh, one particular family that um, we um, visited two years ago, and um, it's a, a young couple with five kids, ranging from teenage to two. Um, actually, when we first came to see them, it was only a little baby. But um, they struggled to put food on the table. Um, Dad had a very good job. He earned quite good money, but not enough to really make ends meet and to pay the bills and to to live, really. Um, so it was hard for them. And so they ran CAP, and we came and visited them in their home and and walked the journey with them. And two, two years, or just under two years, it took them to pay off their, their debts and uh, became debt-free. And um, the good news is that they've um, just been able to buy a house just just recently. And with a swimming pool. With a swimming pool. And, of course, the kids, even though it was winter, they just had to have a swim in the swimming pool. So it was just amazing, yeah. And uh, many of others just like yeah, that. Yeah, many others, many yeah. others. Yeah. And obviously um, CAP stands for Christians Against Poverty, and we love the fact that um, it's unapologetic that we go in as Christians mm. And we are against poverty, and uh, it's just yeah. amazing the the open doors to the gospel that uh, these guys have been able to share. Yeah. But uh, Ricky, we're two from here. You know, share a bit of your heart, and uh, we we were going with Cap. Yeah, um, I just want to reiterate on that. Uh, since Cap started, we've uh, last year was just on seventy million dollars that we'd paid down or had written off on behalf of all our clients. Wow. So when you when you look at that over the years, it's been there. We're close to doing five to ten million a year. Yeah, and I'm not saying this is um, a lazy debt or anything. People are really are in trouble. Um, so just to let you know that that's, that's what CAP are doing in the background for people. So it does work. you just got to be prepared to work it. So um, where we're going with this is uh, uh, we're fortunate to be part of an organisation that's um, it's resourced by people like yourselves. Uh, all around New Zealand and, and churches, and uh, a phenomenal organisation. They're, they're our family. They will always will be our family. And um, but what we, what we're looking to do is that we want to expand this up here in Whangarei, up here in the north. Um, and by doing that, to expand, we need to bring on another debt coach and or a a, a centre manager. 
which is what we both do. And by doing that, there'll be a transition period, but we will be the wraparound ministry around it. So it's the support structure. Um, and like We've been fortunate to develop uh, teams within uh, the uh, government services around Whangarei, and we've, we've got to know them really well, the health services, uh, WINS, for instance, and have a, a good relationship with them. But we're fortunate also that within CAP, uh, sorry, within Elam here, the whānau, and within uh, the, the Auckland team as well, that uh, we have ministries within this church that dovetail into CAP as well. And with that, we've been able to really de- develop uh, this uh, ministry um, even better than what we expected. And by doing that there's other, with all these other ministries, it's brilliant. And just want to also uh, acknowledge that uh, there's a lot of you who are involved with different ministries all around the world, uh, international ones, even within the local community, what you do personally. Um, we acknowledge that. We know what it's like. Um, you know, We can only imagine those who have served overseas in, in ministries and um, Missions, sorry. Um, so, with that, um, yeah, th- that's what we want to do. We want to expand this. So, if you know people, if you know uh, people who've got a heart for this, you know, and, and talking about the heart, it, it's a it's a spirit led ministry. You know, you're going to get a you're going to get a nudge, or well, someone's going to get a nudge with this. And there's a lot of emotions tied up in this ministry. And um, oh, I thought I'd get past this. <laughs> And, you know, it's emotional. We go through emotions, and it's emotionally led um, start, which will get you started into this. But, man, when the, when the Lord's working in this, you see some beautiful things. You know, when you see families and people lose, lose the, 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 what hangs over them. You know, it's a false fear that hangs over them in the way, way they see themselves in society because of what death's done to them. And a lot of it's not of their own doing. Uh, a lot of it we see through the health industry, through uh, mental services, mental health services, and but the health industry, all sorts. So I, I just want to share, um, I've got through my notes, that was good. Uh, just wanted to share with you a scripture. This is what CAP um, uh, are based on, and it's, it's Jesus' ministry. And uh, we all know Luke 4, 17, 18, 19, and 21. And this is when Jesus lays it down. This is the purpose why we are here to do what we do, and this is what Jesus was here to do. And I just want you all to really, um, you know, some of you already know the scripture, but this is this is a what we call a mic drop moment. It's, uh, it's when Jesus was in the synagogue, and uh, he, he he basically picked up the book of Isaiah, found what he he, he needed to read, and then he, he spoke it. And he says here for. Uh, Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And in 21, he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So this is exactly what we do and the reason why we do what we do, because this is what Jesus was led here to do. Thank you. Amazing, amazing. Now, as as you give every week, we um, to, to run the debt centre is actually um, it's it's not cheap to run it and to to make this service available for our community. And so every time you give, you're actually giving into the work of the ministry of uh, of CAP. So uh, thank you. You are a part of this anyway. But if uh, something's on your heart uh, regarding CAP, even if you've just got some questions you'd, you'd love to be answered, come and talk with these guys after the service. Uh, I'm sure that. 
be happy to sit down and have a coffee with you sometime during the week and uh, just just hear your heart and see how you can be a part of seeing this ministry grow even even bigger here in uh, Elam and in the wider church of uh, Whangarei as well. So awesome. Why don't we give these guys a hand? Thank you so much. That's great. Thanks, guys. So we've been in the middle of a series called Sounds Familiar. We've been looking at different verses in the Bible, and uh, maybe they sound a little bit familiar. Today I want to look at a a phrase or a a scripture that, uh, let's be honest, uh, probably has been misquoted many, many times. Uh, Maybe you've heard that money is evil. Is that actually what it says? Let's have a look today. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 10. And I want to look at the context of uh, how this verse was spoken. It was Paul speaking to Timothy. Timothy was uh, kind of getting started in ministry. Paul, the, the wise man, was kind of passing on his knowledge and his information to Timothy, saying, come on, Timothy, this is how I want you to lead people. This is the thing, these are the things that matter. These are the things that are important. Take note of this. And so he says in verse 6, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Now here's the verse that may sound familiar. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Would you pray with me this morning as we open the word? Thank you, Father, for all that we have. Thank you, Lord. We're going to learn today that everything in the earth is yours. And Lord, we are so blessed uh, by everything you give us. Lord, I pray we would capture your heart for uh, money and uh, the, the, its value and its worth. And uh, Lord, how important our response and our attitude towards it is. Uh, Lord, speak to us. I pray we would learn, we would grow. And uh, we would be able to continue to, to see your blessing and be a blessing in other people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage, we read um, that money is not bad, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So things fall apart when money becomes the focus, when it becomes the relentless goal or, or pursuit of money. Um, why? Because money is the commodity in which we trade. We, uh, we, we pay our bills, we earn, we spend, in most cases, with money. Um, if we don't think money's important, some people say, well, I'm not really that focused on money, money's not a big deal. Try telling that to your power company or your phone company when they're asking for the money for your bill. You know, they're probably not going to continue to provide the service if you don't pay your money, right? Um, my children, our children, they, they, they like money. Um, that they are not in relentless pursuit of it, um, but as as children of preachers, um, often they are used within sermon illustrations. Um, it's much cheaper than buying books. You just just live a week and you got something to preach about. All right, well, my mistakes, you know, things like that. And so uh, they cottoned on to it pretty quickly. They said, "If you're going to use us, we need an appearance fee." So. Uh, so Zoe, our youngest, um, comes to me last week and says, Dad, did you, did you speak about me on Sunday? In other words, show me the money. <laughs> and fortunately, um, her understanding of value of money hasn't, 
quite kicked in yet, and so a dollar was more than enough uh, to satisfy. The other two come at a slightly higher price. So I won't mention their names today. So... <laughs> Um, when it comes to money, the thinking of the world would be get it, spend it, chase it. You know, there, there is a massive pursuit of money and of wealth. And I get it because money can do some great things. Money, money, money is very valuable. I think most people would like a little bit more money, right? I don't think anyone's going to turn down money if it was on offer. Money is good. It can, can do incredible things. But the Bible, on the other hand, has a, has a different view on the, the attitude towards money that we find in the world. Now, the Bible talks about money and wealth and possessions. Um, the book of Proverbs talks about money. But we also get an understanding of the importance of money because Jesus speaks on it, and he speaks on it quite a bit. In fact, three times more than any other topic, Jesus addresses money and wealth and resources. So for many of us, our, our money is our treasure and the Bible says that where our treasure is, there are heart is also. And Amy stole my line. Thank you, babe. That's awesome. Um, that, that our treasure is a homing beacon for our heart. If our heart is strongly attached to it, that's where we'll find our core values. So how do we make sure our hearts are fully connected to God and not to money? That money has the right place in our relationships and it has the right place in what we do. As we look at this passage in Timothy, there's a few things that we can understand and apply to our attitude and our finances. Um, we will never find ourselves loving money more than we will love God. Our desire should be to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourselves. It's not the pursuit of money. Let's not put money up as an idol or an altar that we would worship. So the first thought this morning, looking at verse 6, is that God is our greatest treasure. God is our greatest treasure. Verse 6, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. God's desire is that we would live holy lives, lives of holiness, righteousness in Christ Jesus that can be found only in Christ Jesus. And it is a pursuit of loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when we fall in love, we, 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 we pursue that person. We, we desire to be with them. We, we long to be with them. That should be our relationship continually with God. Let's not lose that first love, but continually pursue God and, and say, God, I just want to be closer to you. I want to know you more. You know, that whatever we do, however we act, whatever we say, and how we speak and how we think, that our desire would be to love him. And if we love him with all of our heart, then our, our pursuit is that of godliness and holiness. And when we have that, that in itself, the Bible tells us, is great wealth. That's contentment found through a godly lifestyle, when we live our lives, when we go to bed at night, put our head to the pillow and go, God, I did everything you asked me to do today. And I'm so sorry for the things I didn't, you know. You know, that we walk in right relationship with God. We, there's, there's peace when we go to sleep at night. There's a lot of people striving and straining, trying to get through life. And the, the, the contentment they just can't find. Second thing is that our wealth comes from God. We need to understand and know that our wealth comes from God. Verse 7, it says, After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. I heard the story of a, of a man who kind of took all of his worldly possessions. He was, he was about to pass away. He put all of his money into gold, put in these bricks of gold into a suitcase, and he held it on his body as he was given his, taking his last breath. 
He finds himself at the pearly gates and Peter welcomes him and he says, what do you got in your suitcase? He opens up a suitcase and there's all this gold. He says, I've got all my wealth from my life. And Peter turns to one of the angels and goes, hey, he bought paving stones. Streets are paved with gold. He just bought tar seal. He bought a bit of gravel. See, the wealth that we think is important, actually, it's, it's far greater. You know, there's far greater wealth that we can receive, and it's not the money in our bank that matters. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. When we believe we've made it or achieved, we find ourselves saying to God, we don't need him at all. But when we acknowledge that, that everything in the earth is the Lord's, the earth is all, all encompassing, isn't it? It's everything. It's, it's, it's all that's been created. And God made that. And so therefore, it is all his. We don't always think of God when we consider possible sources of wealth. However, the Bible says in Proverbs 10, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth. When we, again, when we walk in right relationship, and I've seen this time and time again in my own life, even when things have been tight and we've been honoring God with our budget and our finances, every, every time we've needed something, God has always come through. We've found these just surprising money arrives and we find ourselves in that place. Now, the flip side of that is we've also been in seasons where we're financially, we've been in a, in a good place and we've had extra and God has allowed us to be that blessing for someone else. And when, when our mindset is, it's, it's not mine, it's, it's yours, God. And if you put someone on my heart or something on my heart to give and to bless somebody else, what, a, what an incredible blessing that is to be a part of those moments. See, we misunderstand God and finance when we look at money to provide security for our family. Yes, money is important, but money is not what will be, will be our security. How many people know, and I know even in this place, Jobs come and go just like that. Income you, that you thought was solid. You thought you had that job. You thought that career was a, was a sure thing, a, an absolute sure bet. And then all of a sudden it's gone. And that money or that job or whatever it is you thought was security no longer is standing like it would. He who fears the Lord, it says in Proverbs, has a secure fortress and for his children it will be a refuge. The Lord, he who fears the Lord, has a secure fortress. I like this. Uh, this is a great summary of wealth. Proverbs 22, verse 2. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. The person with the most and the person with the least. He is the Lord of all. The third thing we read in this passage in verse 8, it says, And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. So remember, you've got uh, Paul who's speaking to uh, to Timothy, saying, here's my advice. This is how I want you to live your life. This is how I want you to lead the church. This is how I want you to grow the church. And, 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 he, and you, know, you go, well, where's Paul's qualification? How, how, do we, how can we trust Paul's words? Well, Paul is one that uh, he spoke about contentment, and he lived it out. Uh, we've done a little bit of study in uh, the book of Philippians over, over the last 12 months. We've done a couple of series in the book of Philippians. And the verse that, uh, you know, plenty of 18, 19-year-old men in the gym is uh, trying to bench that 120 kilos. Not me, obviously, because I'm not 19. Um, not, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, that's actually not really the context in which that verse was written. Let's go back to verse 11, which 11, 12, 13. 
Paul saying, and remember, this is Paul writing in jail. So he's in jail, and he's talking about contentment. Now, that's a, a, a really interesting headspace to get yourself into. In confinement, no freedom, and yet Paul is saying, I've discovered contentment. Let's look at this. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, says the man writing from prison. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. It tells me Paul was probably pretty successful in what he did. He had, he had more money than he, need, he needed. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do the, all this through him who gives me strength. What an amazing Amazing attitude Paul had, and he's passing this advice onto Timothy. Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Verse 8. Contentment's a beautiful thing. Contentment brings satisfaction to life. And to, to have experienced a hard day, a difficult day, where things didn't go the way you wanted them to necessarily, but, but you, you operated in grace and truth and you, and, you, and you lived your life in the way that would honor God and you did everything you could with what you had to get to the end of the day and put your head on the pillow and say, God, I, I, I did my best to honor you today with what I had. There's a contentment in that. Without the striving and the, 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 the trying to get things done, but actually this contentment that, you know what, God, I've got what I need, and I'm so, I'm so thankful for that. If finances are tight, you know, if you're struggling, you know, um, maybe you're struggling with your budget, and if you're saying, what's a budget, then, then there's probably a chance you might be struggling <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Budgets are good, but they're not a bad word. They're an acceptable word in, in households and should be used. Budgets are what you do, what you create in order to work out where your money will be allocated. If you don't have a budget, of sorts, I would encourage you to have one. It will make a difference because with the budget, it allows you to allocate what you will spend um, and also allow for those things that are unexpected that might appear on you. So I've got enough money in the bank, but not for the washing machine to break down. Where's your emergency fund and your budget to make sure that that is available when you need it? Money is one of the greatest causes of conflict in relationship. The conversations uh, Amy and I have had over the years, and even in our own relationship, a lot of it, the conflict, the, the battle has been around finances. Probably not having enough money or, or not doing the right things with the money that we have. And often because we pursue other people's dreams, not just our own, uh, it goes on in verse 9, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. See, it's very easy to fall into the trap of wanting what somebody else has. Yeah? yeah. I, I love this quote. I don't know who said it. Uh, a guy called Unknown. Um, One reason why it's hard to save money is that our neighbors are always buying something we can't afford. I like that. Isn't that true? They just bought the boat. We need a boat. I didn't need a boat until I saw they had one. But then, yeah. And it's a big thing. It was such a big thing that God considered important enough to put it inside the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. It's easy for us to look at what somebody else has and desire it for ourselves. It's also easy to look at what others have achieved 
and then desire it for ourselves as well. So we look at somebody who, who, who might have wealth, might have, might have done really well, and we look at them and go, wow, they're rich, they've got everything. You know, I want their life. What we haven't done is also walk the journey they've walked. Most people don't have wealth drop on, onto their lap. You know, some people get a big inheritance and that's all they have to do to get their money. But most people that are successful have had to work hard to get what they have. And we, we can't look at somebody else's life and, and, and not appreciate the burden that has caused them to find that wealth. And there's some people in this place, and I, I can see them here today, who now are financially in a, in a great place. But I'll tell you what, you go back five years and 10 years, and, and they were right on the, on the verge of, of, of bankruptcy. But they worked hard. They were disciplined. They budgeted, they did the things they had to do, and they honored God with their finances. And as a result of that, they now find themselves in, a, in another place. But let's not look at somebody else's life and, and want it because we can only live our life. It's important we do that and honor God. It's important, too, that we don't rejoice over someone else's weeping. So when their world falls apart, we don't go, yeah, that's awesome, because I didn't like you anyway, because you're too wealthy. You know, it serves you right. You know, let's not be that person. Let's not be that person that, that weeps over someone else's rejoicing. They get, they get a pay rise. They get the promotion. And you go, oh, stinker, I wish it was me. You know, come on. Come on, we can have this attitude where, where it's like, well, I, I now despise you because you have what I want. Come on, our attitude should be like, you've got a pay rise. That's awesome. You know, you're doing well. I'm so pleased for you. Because the flip side of that is when things aren't going well, we can go alongside and we can encourage that person as well. Not stab them in the back and go, ha ha. You know, if we have an attitude that says we're in this together as a community, when we have extra resource, we can be a blessing to someone else because who knows, maybe there's a day where we need someone to help us. And this is the great thing about community. God wants us to exist in community because within a congregation like this, we we, we have resource that can bless and serve. And, and look, look at the way we get to reach out with CAP and reach out and serve and help some families that are in desperate need. How do we make sure that money is not our treasure and that it can become a tool to further God's kingdom? 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says, And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. If we believe this to be true, then what we need to do is position ourselves in a place where money will flow through us. I love Robert Morris. He says, if God can get it through you, he can get it to you. God can get it through you. If it doesn't stay in, in Castle Mike, but actually goes out of me to become a blessing to others, God will continue to pour blessing in and through us. Um, I want to share just as we close, as the team come this morning, uh, two key principles to living a blessed life. And um, these are not thoughts of my own. These are thoughts from Robert Morris. If you haven't read his book, The Blessed Life, can I encourage you to get a hold of it? Um, it is a phenomenal book with incredible godly principles, The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. I want to share just a couple of his thoughts as I close. He talks about the, the, the blessed life walking on two legs, one of extreme stewardship and one of extreme generosity. And that both have to be balanced right in order to be able to live and walk out the blessed life. So I'm going to talk about stewardship, extreme stewardship, being wise with what you're given. The Bible talks a lot about stewardship. People given gifts and the master returning and say, what did you do with it? 
What did you do with what I gave you? Have you done what I asked you to do? Two keys to extreme stewardship is the first is bring your first and best to God. Bring your first and your best to God. As long as I remember, I've been given bringing my tithe into the storehouse. I don't don't give it, you know, I, I bring it because it's not mine. I don't see my tithe as mine, it's God's first. And so I'm simply just returning in faithfulness and obedience to God, what is already His. And in doing that, every week, all of my life, you know, and, and you know, our, our personal conviction, and you know, you, you, you give what's on your heart to give. You, you give as God is leading you to. You, you, you do that, you know, not out of obligation, not out of pressure. Don't listen to me and say, Mike tells me I need to. You know, if you ever feel coerced into giving, then it's not God. But if you feel a conviction in your heart and God's, God's asking you to respond, that's what you should listen to. Not somebody's words or convincing argument. But I know in my life, my, my story, my testimony is that as we have faithfully given to God, we've never been short. We've gone through difficult times, but, but God has always come through, always provided all we needed, and often through other people. Bible says we can test God in this. Malachi says, test me in this. Bring your tithe into the storehouse and I'll provide for you all that you need. And you might say, well, what if 10% isn't manageable? What if I, what if I can't do 10% of my, my income? Start, start with something. Make a commitment. $5, $10. Say, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to commit to giving you, God, my first and my best. Give it before the tax man gets it. Yeah. Well, love the fact that we pay taxes in our country. Look, look, look at the country we live in. It's, it's incredible. It really is. I've traveled in some other countries. We're, we're a blessed nation. And taxes, I've got no problem paying taxes at all. I think it's great. But you know what? God gets it even before taxes come out. Yeah, That's my heart. God, I give you, you my first and, and my best. Second thing is that we need to invest for future generations. Proverbs 13, 22, it says, A good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. Sometimes God asks us to give everything away. Sometimes He says, just empty your account, sell your house, sell your car, give it all away. He did that to Robert Morris four or five times. God just keeps pouring back into his life. But that's the exception, not the rule. See, wisdom also says, I need some seed in order to sow for the next season. So we've got to be wise. We've got to store up the seed. We've got to take some from the harvest and, and, and take it as seed so that when it's time to sow for the next season, we already have the seed. You can't sow something you don't have. So when we're thinking generosity, when we're thinking investing, we have to put money aside in order to invest into the next generation. I, my desire as a parent is I would love to be able to give my children a deposit for their first home. I would love for that to be the case. And I'll have to work hard to pay off the rest of the mortgage. But man, when you're, when you're young and trying to own a home, how hard is that? Come on, how many people walk through that journey? But how amazing would it be if we could give a, a, an inheritance for the children that come after our children? I'll skip my inheritance and pass it on to the next generation. That's what we're doing. We're going to pass it on to our kids because we're going to be okay. But our inheritance isn't coming to us. It's going to our kids. That's our desire. Don't want to go on those ski holidays, spending kids' inheritance holidays. Maybe just one of them. (laughs) 
But, you know, as a church, I love the fact that the church has built up resource. I love the fact that someone had the vision to do this <laughs> all those years ago. That so many people here today invested in making this a reality. And it came at a huge cost. But I'm so thankful for those that invested. Because there's going to come a time where we're going to hand the baton on to the next generation. Amy and I, yeah, we're getting old now. So there'll be a time where we'll hand on the baton to somebody else. And they won't have to worry about building a building like we didn't have to build. They'll just continue to fill it with thousands of people who need Jesus. What an inheritance to be able to pass on to our children's children's children. The second aspect of the blessed life I talked about extreme stewardship is extreme generosity. As Amy so aptly put earlier this morning, uh, tr- the treasure, our treasure is our homing beacon for our heart. Where our money is, that's where our heart hangs out. Same principle applies. Come on, young men, when you're trying to court your wife, you're trying to get her attention, you're trying to, trying to you know, seal the deal, get that marriage over the line, you, you had no problem spending money on dinner, on flowers, on, on you know, movie tickets, you know, gifts. You just showered it on them. And I know it continues today, doesn't it, now that you're married. Amy says, I don't buy her flowers. I said, I bought you a house with 27 rose bushes. You can, you can have flowers anytime you want, darling. So apparently that's not as romantic as it, it sounds when I say it. So apparently I've got to pick them and put them in a vase as well. So I remember, must remember to do that. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Here's what I've realized throughout my life. I, I've never had a moment of regret giving something to someone, blessing somebody. And the best ones are when it's done anonymously. And they don't even know you gave it. And then to hear the story come back, oh man, you'll never believe what happened. I'm like, that is so cool. That's awesome. So good. What a blessing to be able to give to somebody else. And here's where the two leagues walk together. Extreme stewardship. When you get that right, you can take the step of extreme generosity. But if you don't get the extreme stewardship right, you can't stick with generosity. I remember as a, as, as a young couple, we, we were at a conference and we were so moved by the, by, by the message and the mission that was being you know, offered to us to, to invest in, to be a part of. And we, we wrote out an amount that was more than we had. You know, we, we put it on our credit card and we thought we were being generous, but we were just being stupid. Let's be honest. Because we were trying to give what we didn't have. It's different to have a pledge, you know, which says that by this particular time, I believe I'm going to have, and I'm going to try and give this. But, but we, we gave out of what we didn't have. We got ourselves into financial trouble, a lesson well learned. See, we had to be first good stewards before we could be generous. And so if you're saying, I want to be generous, it may be that you've got to start with the stewardship. You know, you want to be generous, you might have to put $5 aside every week in your budget to bank up enough money to be able to go and bless somebody. Give them a petrol voucher or a food voucher. You know, you might be able to put $2 aside and at, at, at the end of a term, you might be able to take someone out for a coffee and lunch from work because that's what you want to do in your heart. But we've got to do it from what we have. So let's let stewardship go first, followed by generosity. When we walk those two together, it is an exciting journey. 
to be able to, 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 be, to be wise with our finances, to be generous with our finances, to be wise with our finances, generous with our finances. It's such an incredible journey when we find ourselves on that. I, I think the great way, that I, I couldn't sum it up any better than John Wesley, when he said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. I just think that's, that's just the way we can live our lives with our finances. I'm going to earn as much as I can, and then I'm going to save as much as I can, and I'm going to give as much as I can. And you watch what God will do if our heart is to continually give to others. Some questions here today that you can uh, look at and uh, in your small group notes. Our small group leaders will be receiving that today for your small groups as you meet. Uh, you might want to talk about some of these things and uh, talk about your finances and, and uh, you know, learn from each other. I think in every small group, there's going to be different um, areas that, that people are strong in and that people have done well and people have made mistakes and we can learn from each other. So you can look at those. Am I bringing God my first and best? What am I doing to invest into future generations? Are there areas of wastage when it comes to my money? Could I budget better so my resources are more effective for the kingdom? Maybe do the cap money course. Am I being generous with my money and my resource? What's something I can do today? Maybe to bless somebody or this week to be a blessing. But you know what? If we can't settle the stewardship issue, well, we can't settle the stewardship issue, sorry, until we've settled the lordship issue. Can't be a good steward of God's money if we don't first have him as Lord of our life. I want to encourage you today. If Jesus is not first and foremost in your life and in your relationship, I want to give an invitation for you to surrender your life to Him and His plan and His purpose for your life. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to invite anyone who is far from God saying, I need my relationship to be right with God again. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned. We've all fallen short of a standard of holiness, of righteousness. It's a standard that God set. And as humans, we've tried to reach and attain that goal of righteousness. But the Bible tells us all of our righteous acts are kind of like filthy rags or grave clothes in the sight of God. So all of our attempts to try and be right with God fall short. But only through Christ's sacrifice, His death on the cross, forgiveness of sins, can we be right with God again. That gift is on offer here today for anyone who would simply surrender their lives confess their sins and just believe, believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. You receive that gift of eternal life. So with every head bowed, I closed. If you pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for me. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I turn from my old way of living and choose to follow you. Please forgive me. Make me new. In Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed. If you pray that prayer for the first time, maybe you're coming back to God, you've been away from Him, and you just know God's calling you home today. On the count of three, would you slip your hand up? One of our team will spot your hand, and you can pop it back down again. And we want to connect with you and help you take your next step. Right across this place. One, God loves you. Two, He's got a plan for your life. Three, would you put your hand up and say, I prayed that prayer, Mike. Anyone here this morning? For the first time, maybe coming back to God. Amen. I praise God. Awesome.